Our scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 25 through 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions... So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. We are today finishing our fairly long series out of Daniel 1 through 6. And Lord willing, next Sunday we're going to start a brand new, fresh series in the New Testament book of 1 John. I've already broken ground on it. It's very exciting. It's going to be a marvelous opportunity for us to enjoy that section of the written Word of God, all of which points us to Jesus. Now, I know a lot of you have enjoyed the Daniel series, and I do want to appreciate that. also let you know that we do intend to hit the high points of Daniel 7 through 12, interspersing them between now and essentially the end of 2024, when the whole... um, uh, everything changes. So we want to be th- sensitive to God and, and sensitive to the Holy Spirit today. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we pray that you will lead us to Jesus today through your word and sacrament as you have already in prayer. Grant us to be good stewards of this sermon as we preach it and hear it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the wonderful Daniel chapter 6 ends with the summary praise of God, just kind of like the end of the Psalter. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Darius, the pagan Medo-Persian king, is the one speaking in these verses, but it really could be any true lover of God in Jesus Christ. And in fact, it will come in one form or another from every human being and angel that ever existed if not before, at least by the great judgment day. They're going to sing the praises of God, whether voluntarily or against their fallen will. One of the fabulous things about this great God who created the entire universe through his word, Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is that all of it, the creation, comes around full circle to praise his holy name. And that's what we see here. The whole creation will praise God. It's a a wonderful thing, and we all look forward to it. In fact, we don't have to wait, because as members of the Atoned For Forgiven Church of Jesus, we get to have a head start on this great chorus of adoration and worship, which is even what we're doing right here today. Therefore, in light of this gracious and glorious, wonderful truth, Let's make it our gospel goal on this Sabbath Resurrection Lord's Day to 
rejoice in our triune deity through Jesus Christ, our God-man king, looking together at Daniel 6, 25 through 28. And if you wish to use the outline, this is where it begins. The title of the sermon, God's Universal Praise, the Doctrine. The one true and only God that is, will be worshipped by every created being. We made that point very strongly in the introduction, but its verity or truthfulness is so astounding that it governs not only the final four verses of chapter 6 of Daniel, but all the rest of the Holy Scripture and all the creation itself. Someone might even very understandably argue, well, I cannot see how this is at all possible, especially given the inherent hatred that exists for God, Christ, the church, the word of God, everything decent, that is inherent in the fallen hearts of all unregenerate sinners who are conceived in rebellion against God in Adam. And that is a good point. But indeed, dears, the Holy Scripture is very clear in its doctrine and teaching that the one true and only God that is will be worshipped by every created being. First, this adoration is inevitable, be it voluntary or forced. I love the words of Philippians 2, 9-11 through 11, referenced on your outline. Paul wrote these there, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. At the very latest, as I mentioned earlier, this will happen on the great judgment day itself, the day when all bodies of humans are raised either to glory or to damnation, the day when everyone is judged as either being in Christ or outside of him, and the day that the eternal state in heaven and hell is inaugurated. But as we will soon discover in our next some point, we do not need to wait that long. But to return to this intriguing fact that everyone will inevitably worship Jesus Christ, either voluntarily or through external exertion upon their souls, the reality is that upon beholding the judge Christ, even the hardest and most recalcitrant rebellious sinners will spill forth praise of the great judge before them, the one who gave his life for sinners. That is how magnificent this vision of Jesus is today for the saints and will be for everyone else, at least on that day. The one true and only God that is will be worshipped by every created being. This adoration is inevitable, be it voluntary or forced. And the redeemed church gets to set the pace here and now. now. This is one of the principal ways that we know that the kingdom of God is proven to be among us now because the saints in Christ's church today, on this first day of May 2022, are gathering all around the world like we are here to worship this great king now, here, now, on the fallen earth, where the sin is by a supernaturally regenerated church of Christ, body of believers, brought to life from death and damnation, hell and destruction. We do today what everyone will do someday. Why is this worshiping of God through Jesus Christ now so significant, and why does the Bible emphasize it so much? Even our hymns reflected it today, which are great choices. 
Why is God so intentional about teaching that all the creation, nothing accepted, the demons, Lucifer, the elect people, the non-elect people, the elect angels, the non-elect angels, the animals, the trees, the creation, everything will worship him. Well, let me give you three good reasons. First, because it glorifies God in the fallen, otherwise completely rebellious world. It wouldn't be a lot for God to overcome a friendly environment, but it is something when he overcomes an absolutely recalcitrantly hardened environment against him. That's a wonderful thing. He did that with us because we did hate God in our sin and death. And he overcame it by his wondrous mercy. Secondly, it demonstrates the sincerity of our miraculous God-given faith in Jesus. So the true saints come to church and worship God on his day, on Christ's day. To demonstrate, not to earn or merit, but to show forth the reality that they are new creatures in Christ, born again unto glory. And lastly, because it really is our primary means of witnessing the truth of the gospel of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only to ourselves and the church, but to the whole world, that we would gather and praise this wonderful, gracious God that we serve. Therefore, dears, as Christ's redeemed church, let us worship him as well as we can in this world, despite all the obstacles that stand in our way, whether it be sickness or sadness or disease or hardship or providential hindrances, whatever it might be, let's grow up into who we are at this point in our level in Christ and grow more through this Lord's Day, the means of grace, to become more and more like Jesus, more and more happy and fulfilled in him. And we can do this because King Jesus rose from the dead. And every Sunday reminds us of that fact, not just Easter Sunday. Let's look at these amazing verses, 25 through 28, Daniel 6. And rejoice in the various extents, E-X-T-E-N-T-S, extents of God's universal praise. In these four verses of our lesson for today, we're going to see if there are any limits to the realm or boundaries of God's worship through Jesus Christ? Well, here's a preview, dears. The answer is there are none. But having said that, let's now consider the question of who and what is involved in this grand project of the worldwide glorification of God's Son, Jesus Christ, whom he has seated at his right hand as the glorious King of heaven and earth today and always. The various extents of God's universal praise. First, everyone everywhere is included. Verses 25 and 26. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. And I want you to notice with me three superlative alls, which I emphasized in the reading, and a strictly delineating he in these first two verses. 
The supposedly pagan king Darius is the one speaking, and he insists that all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, verse 25, be addressed by his, Darius' bold command to worship the God of Daniel. Now, somebody might say, well, that when there's some land outside of Darius' realm, probably so. But as far as he was concerned, he wanted this to go everywhere, everyone, to be commanded to worship the true God. And then to reinforce his good edict, the Mede, Darius, writes this in verse 26a, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Then... Following this, rather remarkably, given the context of an absolutely pantheistic culture in which he lived, Darius declares that for he, Yahweh, he is the living God, etc., in verse 26b. Here's, Here's an important doctrine. Do you know and realize, understand and believe that the Bible both categorically calls for and prophesies the worship of the God spoken of in these verses and throughout the rest of the pages of Holy Scripture, the God who is perfectly revealed to us in the incarnation through Jesus Christ, the absolute revelation of God. And this is to be done by every human being, no matter where he or she lives on the earth and no matter what one's condition is. The Bible absolutely categorically calls for it and prophesies it. Now, do you need some concrete proof of that? Probably not, but I'll give it to you anyway. How about the last verse of the Psalter, which we use as our call to worship today? Psalm 150, verse 6, which says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Another stunning text in this regard comes from Isaiah 45, verse 22, where God is found saying, Look or turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other absolute truth of this gospel, this religion that we believe in, this Savior, Jesus Christ, the ultimate one. And we would be remiss, too, if we failed to observe the identification God makes with Christ's kingdom or dominion, which is properly speaking his church, in the words that close out this loaded and rich verse 26. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. So you, the true church of God, can never be annihilated, never have been, never will be. Hurt, persecuted, yes. Suffering, yes but never destroyed. The various extents of God's universal praise, everyone everywhere is included, and places, places of glory and sin are included. Verse 27. He, God, delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, you you know, if you've been around here long, that I very much like the Bible's doctrine of God's ministry, activity, and worship on the earth as well as in heaven. I I want you to know I really appreciate eternity, eternity and glory and heaven and all that. I don't ever want to be misunderstood. But the Holy Scripture's almost entire attention is on this world, on this life, because this is where it all really matters. 
After this is done, there is no more work to be done. There's nothing more that can be done. There is no purgatory. There's no limbo. There's no place for people to go to work off their sins or to make up for lost time. It all really comes down to this. So I really like the Bible's insistence that it's very much true that God is at work on the earth and that he does his work here. And verse 27 obviously clearly teaches this. Now, if we were to ask the question, where is God to be praised? The answer is everywhere, in heaven and on earth. And if you want to say even under the earth, if that's helpful. It is a matter of fact that in this verse 27, the emphasis is on the earth, where there is sin, sickness, disease, death, and all the other effects of the fall. Isn't that amazing? That's encouraging. That's very encouraging. And notice how God profoundly, personally, and powerfully uses just one member of his faithful church, in this case Daniel, to essentially turn the entire world of religion on its head, upside down. The biggest governmental big shot on the planet, Darius, had been so dramatically impacted by this one human being, Daniel, and what God did through him, this one churchman, that Darius, in his excitement and enthusiasm, makes it a law that everyone must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, to hearken back to verse 26a. There would be no evil speaking of Yahweh in the Medo-Persian Empire. This doesn't imply, of course, that all those people were elect, or even they all believed, but they did respect this God, and their leader, their king, their emperor demanded that it be so, and rightly so. There's never, ever be ashamed of Jesus Christ, his gospel, his church, his worship, his day, his work in you, his person, his means of grace, his preaching, his sacraments, and his means of prayer. Never be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, as per Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and 2 Timothy 1.8, do not be ashamed, Paul tells the minister. Recognize that your faith, your religion, your gospel, your church, and most importantly, your Lord Jesus Christ, is not an option among many alternative ways of thinking, believing, and acting, or worshiping in the fallen world. Instead, understand, believe, and speak, and say, and proffer, and boldly state that our Christ and all his attendant blessings just mentioned is the one true and only way truth, and life, as per John 14.6. The various extents of God's universal praise. See, there's this the religion you're in is so serious. We're not playing games here. We're not competing with some other religionist somewhere else. We're doing what every human being was created to do, who would live to the highest level possible in the second person. 
We are doing it because it's not only the right thing to do, it's the best thing to do, and it's the only thing to do. It's not an option among many others. It's not like our religion's a little better than some other. It's the only religion. All other religions are nothing more than works, effort, self, performance. They're all failures. And they can never please an absolutely, totally, holy, perfect God who must be pleased by absolute, 100% obedience. That can only be had through Jesus Christ, who procured it for us and then imputed it to the souls of the saints in the church, who now are seen by the Father as 100% absolutely clean, pure, innocent, justified, and righteous because of the work of Jesus. The various extents of God's universal praise, everyone everywhere is included, places of glory and sin are included. And finally, particular saints of the church are included, verse 28. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He was saved, Daniel, from the power of the lions. Whoops. I just read that, didn't I? Now scratch that from the tape, Mark. Verse 28. Here we go. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Remember a few weeks ago we were wondering about Darius and Cyrus and how they related? Were they the same person? Well, obviously they're two different ones. The Mede, Darius, the Persian, Cyrus, they were both used by God. They both had a very cordial heart toward the church of that time, the Old Covenant. But among the faithful people that they dealt with, few, if any, were as prominent, proficient, and productive as Daniel. But the main thing I'd like you to see from these, this very last verse of our long study in Daniel 1 uh, through 6 chapters, which I think is 30-some sermons, maybe more, is that God, your Heavenly Father, especially cares for you, individual Christian churchmen, who love him and are faithful in his church, which is pretty much to say the same thing, especially among those who understand. You are specially loved by him. Now, did Daniel have it easy No, he had to go through a lot of struggles, trials, hard times. This whole chapter 6 was mostly about the lion's den, wasn't it? He didn't have it easy. But he always came out on the other end better off than he went in. He was actually a better believer after he came out of the lion's den than when he went into it. He was more refined, more sanctified, more in love with his God. And the same will be and is true of all of you who know and love God. And as First John will teach us, we love God because he first loved us. It's not because we were so smart or bright or better than others. He did choose us, and he did apply the means of grace in the atonement of Christ upon our souls by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. We do love him because he loved us. And you also, just like Daniel, are going to prosper during your time here on earth. It's, it's pretty much inevitable. 
If you're a faithful Christian churchman who loves God and Jesus Christ and you submit your entire life to him, you don't think you're going to prosper? Oh yeah, you're going to prosper. Not just in the ways the world's interested in money or things, although that's almost for sure to be part of it, but in the really great and important ways of growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, becoming more like him Sunday to Sunday. And this will be because by God's grace alone you persevere. Where most people quit, give up, make excuses and leave a faithful church, where faithful churches tend to be small, you persevere through thick and thin. Not because you're so great, but because the God who has recreated you is so great. You do it through your undying faith in Christ, which is God's gift to every regenerated churchman. So after the doctrine, we did the exegesis. Now we're going to do a little more application this morning. And let us understand why the truth of God's universal praise is a marvelous encouragement for, for the forgiven church. It really is. First of all, the Christ will be praised by all people and angels, dears, is both a promise and a prophecy. Did you know that? It's one of the promises of God. It's also a prophecy of God, the word of God. When we possess God's promises and prophecies, we may, to use some more alliteration, also utilize the patience he provides us. If we know that we have God's promises and prophecies, we may be patient and wait for them. Let us, the members of the true church, live in the present, the past, and the future all at the same time. In Christ Jesus, the one who encompasses it all, about whom it is said, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. With that in mind, let's consider why the truth of God's universal praise is a marvelous encouragement for the forgiven church. First, because despite whatever we have to suffer down here, and this is the case, isn't it? All the true saints do suffer. Yes, it's true that the unbelievers suffer too, but I would probably argue that the true Christians suffer more uh, because we have two natures, a real true nature, who we are in Christ, and the old flesh. And there is this constant struggle within. The assurance that we are in Christ on the right side, if you will, by the grace of God, is a wonderful assurance. The fact that we have to endure affliction with Christ on the earth is the truth. There's no question about it. But it can serve us to make us more like Christ, and that's a good thing. So no matter what happens to us, we end up in a better state. Would we like things to be more easy? Sure we would. But can we accept the hard times too? Sure we can. What's the result going to be? More Christ-likeness. After all, if there was nothing pushing against our Christian lives that seemed to be so strong and foreboding, then the hope about which we're preaching and hearing and reading today would be of little account whatsoever. But there's actually there's more to the story than just the, quote, negative side of it helping us through hard times. And let's look at that now as we close. Why the truth of God's universal praise is a marvelous encouragement for the forgiven church. Because despite whatever we have to suffer down here, 
everything conspires for our good and for our triune deity's glory. Actually, I think this is one of the most amazing things about the true Christian church, Christ-loving life and faith. I suppose the real question for us is, do we believe it or not? I grant that for ordinary people, ordinary religious people, uh, this is and would be impossible to believe. And I grant, but I also think that for regenerated Christians who know and love God in Jesus Christ, they not only can but do believe this gracious gospel truth, that everything conspires together for your good and God's glory. After all, Romans 8.28 does say, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, those called according to his purpose. And Ephesians 3.21, referenced on your outline, says, To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So how are we to respond to this in the sermon and all the good things of God? Let us by faith bathe ourselves in the blood of Christ. Let us rejoice in his resurrected person, who he is, and we in him. Celebrate our good standing in Christ, our freedom from sin, damnation, hell, and the pangs of conscience. Let us do this as we love God, relish his affection for us, his redemption of us, and do it all by grace through faith in Jesus. Beloved, God's universal praise is a beautiful thing. As Christ's church, let us give our Father thanks for God's universal praise. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your universal praise. It starts here, well, actually in heaven, and then down here through Christ's work in the church and through us to the whole world. We know that this is a gathering, cascading chorus of praise that will culminate in every single thing ever made giving you glory. Every angel, every human being, praising Jesus Christ and calling him Lord and bowing their knees to him, having absolutely no choice but to do so. We thank you that you get all this. Now as we come to the table, may we celebrate Jesus in this special way. We pray in his name. Amen.